The stove is still hot. Top 100 prospect Kyle Manzardo moves from the Rays to the Guardians for pitcher Aaron Savali. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So we saw a bunch of moves on Sunday night for the trade deadline because most teams played on Sunday afternoon. And as we were ticking through the day on Monday, I started to get a little bit worried because the plan was to record this show on Monday night after a bunch of transactions had happened. And as of mid-afternoon, no transactions had happened. Spoiler alert, they took care of that. We are recording this time stamping here. We have to do this right now. 915 Eastern time on Monday, July 31st. We have seen quite a few moves and none of them as interesting as between the Guardians and the Rays. Fascinating trade for me. Right-hand pitcher Aaron Savali goes from the Guardians to the Rays in exchange for first base prospect Kyle Manzardo. That's it. There's no money involved. There's nothing else. That is the trade. It's a one-for-one trade. And There's a couple ways to look at this trade, right? The first way to look at this is this was two teams that had an abundance of options at one position and they made a swap that makes sense for both teams. The other way to look at this is these are teams who who doubt the effectiveness of their current, of their guy. And so they're getting rid of this guy before either the wheels fall off or before everybody else figures out what's going on. Let's take the positive aspect first. Aaron Savali for Kyle Manzardo. Savali, 13 games this year. 5-2, ERA in 77 innings pitch. 58 strikeouts, so 6.8 per 9, to 22 walks, 2.6 per 9. A lot of the, the ancillary things around his performance look really good. He's in the 85th or better percentile in barrel rate, 70th percentile or better in hard hit rate, 70th percentile or better in expected slugging percentage. And the cutter curveball sinker combo for Aaron Savali, he added a little bit of velocity to it. So the pitch shapes have changed a little bit. He's throwing even more strikes than he was before. It was already, he already threw a lot of strikes. But right now, the first pitch is just under 70% uh, strikes. Would It would be fifth in baseball were he to have enough innings to qualify. Again, he's only throwing 77 innings because he missed the first two months of the season with an oblique injury. Um, all two strike counts, Aaron Savali is throwing strikes 62% of the time. He's getting out of innings. He's getting out of this. So there's a thought process that this is... Cleveland saying we have a lot of pitchers. Look at our rotation right now. Gavin Williams, Tanner Bibby, Logan Allen. We just went and got, and got Noah Syndergaard. And then on the IL that we're eventually going to get back, we have Cal Quantrill, we have Tristan McKenzie, we have Shane Bieber. We're going to eventually get these guys back. 
behind them in the minors. We've got Cody Morris. We've got Hunter Gaddis. We've got Joey Canty. We just signed Amir Garrett to a free agent deal in, like this month. Uh, Nick Enright signed with us. We have a lot of options. We can afford to trade a guy to fill a position of need at first base because Josh Naylor has been great. Josh Bell has not. And so we can go out and get Kyle Manzardo to fill this need for us. Now, there's another more cynical take that you can take about the trade for uh, of Aaron Savali. And you can say, okay, 2-3-4 ERA, but the fielding independent pitching for Aaron Savali, which is, in essence, ERA if you only look at things that the pitcher can control, right? Home runs, walks, hit by pitch, strikeouts. You ignore if the ball is put into play where the defense would get to it because ultimately the defense is what matters for that, not you. The uh, fielding independent pitching is a 3-5-5. So the difference is 1.2 runs per nine innings. It's a ridiculous difference. And that's one of those indicators that maybe he's been a little bit luckier than he maybe really is. His strikeout rate, 6.8 strikeouts per nine, is the lowest of his career. His his walk rate, 2.6 walks per nine, is the highest of his career. And he's only given up five home runs, whereas last season in 20 more innings, he gave up 22. And in 2020, in the same number of innings, he gave up 11 home runs. And so he's been a little bit lucky. And we want to sell while uh, he is at his most valuable. So that is the cynical side of this because you've got to figure something out here, right? He's got multiple years of control and he looks to be very good right now. And maybe this is just something where he's leaning into the pitch into contact. He, he limits hard contact. You get him in front of that Tampa Bay defense, he's going to be really good. Who knows? Now, the flip side of this is Kyle Manzardo. So for Tampa Bay, Amazing year last year. 93 games between high A and double A. 327, 426, 617. 22 home runs, 49 extra base hits, 65 strikeouts to 59 walks, and one for two on stolen bases. The stolen base makes me laugh. Kyle Manzardo may legitimately be the slowest player in Major League Baseball. He is a very good first base defender. He is probably top five defensive first baseman in the minors, if not number two, number one, or whatever. But... Not very fast. Uh, slowest player in baseball. And so this move to trade Kyle Manzardo could be a couple things. You can look at this the good way. You can look at this the bad way. The good way is you can say Tampa understands they have plenty of depth when it comes to first base. Obviously, they got the breakout from Yandy Diaz this year, who has been absolutely amazing. He's got, I'm thinking, I think it's either two years or one more year of contractual control. And then in the minors, Xavier Isaac, your first round pick from last year, is raking. He's doing really well. You just went out and got Trey Morgan, who is a very similar profile to Manzardo in that does not have overwhelming home run power, but has a very good hit tool and a line drive swing and is a very good first base defender. Is probably a better defender than Manzardo is at first base. And so this is a position of value you have extra, you have more assets than you have playtime, and you can afford to take away from this position of depth to improve your major league roster. The downside, the bad way of looking at this is saying 
you've realized that Kyle Manzard is a flawed player and you want to get him out the door before other teams realize that. His 73 games in AAA this year, 238, 342, 442, significantly lower across the slash line. 11 home runs, 31 extra base hits, 65 strikeouts to 42 walks, and one for two on stolen bases. The big red flag here, and we saw some of it last year, but he still hit really well last year. The big red flag here in AAA Durham, Kyle Manzardo against left-handed pitching is batting 148, 262, 273. Uh, He is currently on the IL with a sore shoulder that he's been battling all year. And the cynical way to look at this is he's ultimately going to be stuck as a platoon player and we probably should move him before the rest of the league realizes that he is a platoon first baseman. Now, I think Kyle Manzardo is probably is going to be an everyday starter at the major league level. The hit tool is too good. There are a lot of extenuating circumstances around Kyle Manzardo this season, including the health of his mother, a lot of personal issues. We have to remember to give these guys grace. They are still human beings. And I am convinced that Kyle Manzardo is, in fact, a very good player who is having, unfortunately, a poor season right now, statistically. And even despite the poor slash line, the peripherals for Cal Manzardo are still good. Hard hit rate of 48.3%. The highest player on Cleveland's roster has a 43% hard hit rate. Max exit velo for Cal Manzardo of 111.9. Jose Ramirez at third base for Cleveland has a max of 111.6. Cal Manzardo is one of two AAA batters to be over 80th percentile on both zone contact, so making contact with pitches in the strike zone that he swings at. He's at 87.2%. It's 82nd percentile and above 80th percentile in barrel rate. He's at 9.8% barrel rate. That's the 81st percentile in baseball. One of two AAA batters to be above 80% in both of those things. If you're curious, the other one is Michael Bush of the Dodgers in AAA right now. So, Go check out Locked On Guardians and Locked On Rays. They're going to be giving their thoughts on these trades. Uh, My opinion is that uh, both of these teams were dealing from positions of strength, and Tampa knows that they have alternatives to Kyle Manzardo. Cleveland knows that they have other pitchers coming up to replace Aaron Savali. In just a minute, we're going to talk about the Seattle Mariners giving Arizona their new closer, as well as... The Mariners shipping out some guys that I didn't even know were part of the Mariners. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. I went to a concert over the weekend. I was in Nashville to go see George Strait in concert. It was Little Big Town, Chris Stapleton, George Strait. And very good concert. Very hard to buy these tickets, right? We spent so much time online in the queue trying to buy these and I bought them before I learned about game time I went into the game time app as we were walking into the stadium and I went and found seats at a better price than what I paid that were closer to the stage than what I paid I know they were closer because I saw an image of the seat on my phone you don't this is the last minute ticket deal app here. You don't have to make plans months in advance like I did. You can get deals on tickets the day of the event. Tickets are sent directly to your phone. You never have to dig through an email to find them. And 
you have the game time guarantee. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less than what you paid on, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. It is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. So, uh, so snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, use code locked on MLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms and conditions apply, but again, create an account, redeem code locked on MLB for $20 off. Download the game time app. Today, last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Okay, we continue to see trades done at the major league level. Uh, the Mariners made two. First one is they gave Arizona their closer. They sent relief pitcher Paul Sewold from the Mariners to the Diamondbacks. And what they got back in return, they got infielder Josh Rojas, they got outfielder Dominic Canzone, and they got infield prospect Ryan Bliss. Very interesting thing here. Canzone, 25 years old, came out of Ohio State, and AAA Reno was absolutely crushing. 354, 431, 634. Stupid statistics in AAA at Reno. They call him up. He goes 9 for 38, a home run, at 8 RBIs. Something where... Defensively, he's not great. He's a corner outfielder because the speed's not great, the arm's not strength, but he's going to continue to hit. He is probably going to be your third of three outfielders, but you have a chance if you can get, if you can help him continue to limit his strikeouts by not expanding the zone, you have a chance for him to make an impact offensively. He can be at least a platoon bat, if not a full-time starter for you. Josh Rojas is a guy that has really had a tough year. He was a very useful utility guy for the last couple seasons for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And just as recently as 2021, he played in 140 games, batting 264, 341, 411, 11 home runs, 46 extra base hits. But he struggled last year. He struggled even more this year in a part-time role. 228, 292, 296 in 59 games and was sent down to AAA. Defensively, he can play second, he can play third, he can play short, he can play both corner outfield spots. He's played all of those positions at the major league level. He even got into a game as a reliever this year. Very useful defensively. You just have to fix whatever is going on with Josh Rojas's offense. He is arbitration eligible after this season. You've got Three years, you will have him through 2026. So in essence, especially because we've talked about the arbitration system before, because he's going to arbitration after his worst season, that is going to be his baseline season. So he is going to be a cost-controlled, affordable option for multiple years. And then by the time he's a free agent, he'll be 33. And if you don't re-sign him, it's not the worst thing in the world for your team. It's a good by low on Josh Rojas. And then the true prospect that came in this, Ryan Bliss. 2021 second rounder out of Auburn. Fun fact, first prospect I ever interviewed was Ryan Bliss. Struggled last year in high A because he was trying to hit for power. And he's listed at 5'9", 175 or so. Now that we have the new CBA and they require everybody to get measured in socks in the clubhouse by a third party, we now know Ryan Bliss is 5'6". He is a short king. I guess with the move to second base, 
at AA Amarillo next to Jordan Lawler. And with the acceptance of this is who I am, a 5'6 short king, I'm going to have a short king's game. He batted 358, 414, 594. 41 extra base hits, 12 home runs, but 41 extra base hits, 24 walks to 59 strikeouts, and stole 30 of 38 bases. They promoted him to AAA. Not been there very long, just under, I think, two weeks. And slash line's not great, but now he is on the move. It is very easy for me to see a scenario where Ryan Bliss is the starting second baseman for the Seattle Mariners as soon as next season. Now, I don't know when in the season it'll be, but it's a very good job of of Seattle being very good at building these middle relievers. They can just churn out these back-of-the-bullpen relievers. In this case, signed a minor league deal with the Mariners in 2021 after being released by the Mets. And Seawold, 52 saves, 288 ERA in the last three years. He's got a fastball that's got really good induced vertical break on it. He's got a sweeper. He's throwing out of a low right arm slot. Really makes just lots of swings and misses, makes it hard to pick up. And they just went in and they took him on a minor league deal and rebuilt him into what he is now. And this is, Seattle is very good at building these relievers. And this is them going in there. He has a year of control after this one. So they went in and were able to turn him into a potential starter in Ryan Bliss a potential corner outfield starter in Dominic Canzone, and a buy low on a veteran utility man in Josh Rojas. Uh, The Mariners also made a second deal. They sent outfielder A.J. Pollock and utility man Mark Matthias to San Francisco for a player to be named later. I was today years old when I realized A.J. Pollock was playing on the Seattle Mariners. Not a lot of analysis here. We don't know who's on the player to be named later list. Uh, This is ultimately reshuffling uh, reshuffling deck chairs. This isn't necessarily anything huge. Matthias can play a bunch of, he's played every position except for catcher and shortstop. He can be a utility guy off the bench for you. He's been in AAA with Seattle. They claimed him off of waivers in July. And then AJ Pollock has typically been really good against lefties, struggling a little bit this year, but the Giants have been pretty bad against lefties. So when he comes back from this hamstring strain, hopefully he can help the Giants face off against lefties. Make sure to go follow Locked On Mariners, Locked On Diamondbacks, Locked On Giants. They're going to have more about these trades in just a minute. We're going to talk about the rest of the trades that were done as of time of recording. So as of 9.15 when we started this, we'll do that next right here on Locked On MLB Prospects. Final segment of Locked MLB Prospects here on Monday, July 31st. Listening to this on Tuesday morning, we have the Chicago Cubs not only deciding not to sell Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger, but becoming buyers. They go to the Washington Nationals. They get third baseman Jimer Candelario, who, fun fact, used to be a member of the Cubs. Little bit awkward here. Uh, something he debuted with them in 2017, played a grand total of 16 games, and then they traded him to the Tigers. So he is coming back home. I've already seen people have already done the Photoshop of him in the Cubs jersey. It's a really good look. But the thing here, in his 99 games this year, 258, 342, 481, 16 home runs, 48 extra base hits, 36 walks to 88 strikeouts, and 6-7 on stolen bases. Chicago has been making it work 
at third base with a lot of different options. Every now and then it was a Patrick Wisdom. They had Christopher Morrell out there. They've had a lot of different options at third. And Candelario should be able to give them some stability. He is a true rental. He is a free agent after this year. So you only have him for a couple months plus whatever you do in the postseason. But he is an upgrade because the collective slash line for players who played third base for the Cubs, there's been five different guys this year, the collective slash line, 218, 302, 392. So he absolutely will improve on that. He's going to give you above average defense, and he's going to give you a much more potent bat at third base. Now, in return for him, the Cubs sent two prospects back to the Nationals. They sent left-hand pitcher DJ Hers and shortstop Kevin Maid. And I could be pronouncing this wrong. I could be pronouncing Kevin's last name wrong. It could be something crazy like Made, but I'm going with Maid until I know better. So, lefty DJ Hers, 2019 eighth rounder. Something where he's got the velo's typical lefty velo on the fastball, right? He sits low 90s, 94, stuff like that. But he has a really deceptive delivery. He comes across the body, and so the ball is released out in front of him versus off to the side, and it's hard for batters to pick up. And so he gets a lot of swings and misses in the zone because of that. And then his stuff tunnels really well with it. He's got a change up. And then he's got a breaking ball, sits the curveball, sits in the upper 70s. It all tunnels really well, but because of the extreme lateral movement in the delivery with the cross-body delivery, he can't always necessarily throw strikes. He also sometimes struggles with command, and he doesn't go super deep into games because the pitch count runs up because he doesn't have the good command. And 14 games started this year. He's 1-1 one one with a 3.97 ERA. In 59 innings, 80 strikeouts, so 12.2 per nine. There's the swing and miss stuff. There's a deception, but 37 walks, 5.6 walks per nine, four home runs allowed. There's the inefficiency, something where he's going to go, he's going to go to double A. They're going to see, can we keep him in a starting role? Can we get him to go deeper into games by throwing more strikes? Or is he going to be a lefty reliever that is one of those? I think Baseball America called him effectively wild. Is it going to be one of those types of relievers? We'll see what happens. For Kevin, signed for one and a half million dollars out of the Dominican, an IFA, a very good defender. I mean, he is probably, the arm strength is probably 70 grade. The defense is probably 65 grade or so. He can pass the arm to play third. He's got the hands, the soft hands and the actions to play second. You can use them anywhere you need to in the infield. The problem is he can't hit. Uh, he, you can beat him with fastballs up. You can beat him with sliders down and away. He expands the zone a lot, and he makes he go. He, the swing decisions aren't great, so he's swinging and he's swinging at pitches that if he makes contact, it's gonna be suboptimal contact. Right? The swing itself is fine. Uh, the pitch recognition for the most part is okay. He can control the barrel. He's got good bat speed. It's just swing decisions. And it's a big thing. And if you can work on those, if you can get the swing decisions to look much better, he's definitely a guy who defensively, like I said, can stick anywhere in the infield. The question is, can you get him to hit? Can you get him to better decide when to pull the trigger and when to lay off? It's a big challenge. We've seen the Nationals have some struggles with guys that have this profile. Thinking about Elijah Green, but... He obviously, he's only 20 years old. He still has time to get better. The Mets 
sent outfielder Mark Canna to the Brewers for right-hand pitcher Justin Jarvis. This is something where Canna is going to the Brewers to give them a veteran bat, somebody who's very good at getting on base. Career 348 on base percentage. Platoon splits aren't necessarily that bad, but he can be their primary DH. He can play both outfield corners. He's played a little bit of third base in his career. He's played some first base this season. And he's owed $4 million in salary. And the Cubs are, or the, the Cubs, the Mets are paying that down to the major league minimum. So there's not a lot of money. I think they're paying $3.5 million of that $4 million. So the Brewers are on the hook for $500,000 roughly for Mark Canna this year. Now, he does have an $11.5 million option for next year with a $2 million buyout, and that is on the Brewers. They have to decide to either pay him $2 million to leave or pay him $11.5 million to play at age 35 next year. But either way, they got a veteran who can be their DH, who can fill in a corner if they need to, can even play some first base. They just traded for Carlos Santana to do that. In return, they got pitcher Justin Jarvis, 2018 fifth rounder out of high school, was doing really well in AA, and this is one of those scenarios where I'm trying to figure out, was this decision made because we're trying to sell high on Justin Jarvis, looking at the stats he had from the AA Southern League that had those ridiculous baseballs, right? 14 starts in AA for Justin Jarvis, 6-4, 3-3-3 ERA in 75 and two-thirds innings, 91 strikeouts, so 10.8 per nine, to 26 walks, 3.1 per nine, 10 home runs given up. Was he? Obviously, you have to think about what did that ball do? He made three starts in AAA, 11 innings, did not look great. ERA was over 10 absolutely got shelled. And so the question is, which pitcher is he? Is he the double-A pitcher? Is he the triple-A pitcher? Is he somewhere in the middle? Obviously, it's probably in the middle, but is it closer to the double-A version or the triple-A version? That's the big question here. Throws a bunch of different pitches, fastball, a splitter, a slider, a curveball. When he misses, though, he misses over the plate. You can see that in those 10 home runs. I watched a couple games from him when he was with Biloxi, and it's, that was a really good slider. The second time he threw it, it just it sat middle and got crushed. Questions here about Justin Jarvis, but automatically it looks like he could be a number four, number five if it all works out. Question here is going to be figure out what type of pitcher Justin Jarvis actually is. Is he closer to the double-A version or the triple-A version? Another real quick, Oakland sent lefty Sam Maul to Cincinnati for right-hand pitcher Joe Boyle. Boyle is a dude that strikes out a ton of batters. 204 career minor league innings. He's got 316 strikeouts, okay? Tons of strikeouts. Has been has spent some time in the AA Southern League this year. Looked really good as always. I feel better about him because we've seen this from him since he was drafted out of, I think it was Notre Dame. Sam Mull is a lefty for the bullpen for Cincinnati. Can't really do that well at getting lefties out, but he's good against righties. Gives them some other options there in the back end of the bullpen. Uh, if more things, if more trades come out tonight, we will cover those in tomorrow's show. Stay tuned for that. Going to recap the entire trade deadline. The biggest moves. There's teams out there who have not done anything yet. 
The Braves have not done any significant moves. The Yankees, the Orioles have not done significant moves. The Dodgers are rumored to be in on Justin Verlander. They have not made that happen yet. So stay tuned for the show. We will give you everything you need to know about that. And in the meantime, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor loan.